0: Welcome to Rebecca Sounds Reveille. Well, what a show today I have to bring to you because I'm really excited about the guest that is going to just tantalize your ears with everything that he has to say. I've got to tell you, he is an author, an actor. He is been a wrestler and a police officer what a well-rounded package he is the author of when it was real he has been an actor known for brush with danger the wrestler and heroes of wrestling and he is also a retired police officer of 27 years with a police department in Maryland you will also know that know him for his experience as a wrestler in the wwe and i have got to just let him share so much more about that with you and i want to bring him out now so with me today is nikita breznikoff welcome to the show
1: thank you so much rebecca that's a beautiful introduction
0: i am really excited Because you and I share a lot of background. We both um, have been in law enforcement, both are authors, and we both are in entertainment. So this is really exciting, and you've got a lot going on now, and a lot that you want to share with the audience, but first I've got to ask, going from law enforcement into wrestling, I know your story, but my guests, I mean, my audience does not, and I'd like to have you share that with them, because... It'll, it's your passion, and it comes from your heart with how you got there.
1: Absolutely. And there goes my alarm. Okay. <laughs> okay. See, I was going to make sure I didn't miss you. Okay. So that's it. Now here's how it started. I was still in the middle of the police department career, believe it or not. I was an avid tape collector. And, yes, I am saying tape. We're going back to the 90s at this point. I love so, it. I, the book that I wrote is about the 70s, me as a kid. It, not so much me as Nikolai Volkov's manager, and this is all going to play together, but what it meant to us. So I tried to collect as much as I could video wise. So one day I'm working patrol, I was a patrol sergeant at the time. And in the 7-Eleven, they had a cardboard sign, which would become a staple of my life and years later, an advertisement for a local professional wrestling show. So I see Nikolai Volkov, and it's like, wow, Nikolai's going to be here. And I knew he lived in the area, but I had never met him before. So I'm thinking, I'll go see if Nikolai can maybe give me a line. I can maybe get some tape. So I go there. I'm in uniform. And I'll never forget the first time we meet each other, he comes walking in and he says, hello, Sergeant. Never knew each other, he just saw the insignia. So I say, hey, Nikolai. So then what would also become a staple of my life before shows, the local indie shows, the wrestlers come out and they sell pictures or whatever. So Nikolai, he comes out. So I go and I talk to him. So I say, Nikolai, I collect tapes. You don't happen to have it. He's all, oh, no, but I would love that. Please, I pay you. I said, you are gonna pay me a dime. I owe you for what you gave us. I'll be glad to make these tapes. So from there, we became like brothers. So then I just pestered him. I said, Nikolai, I want to get into wrestling. He said, no, 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 you have good job. Everybody gets hurt, don't do it. And I said, all right, so finally, I wore him down. We were actually working, it was called the Czech Slovak Festival. It was the Czechoslovakians and the Slovaks, we get together every year, we were doing security. But, I mean, we were the youngest people there. The security was for, uh, I mean, they were like 60s, 70s. What we were doing was dancing with most of the ladies there and things like that. It was just for insurance. So as we're walking around the building, he says, all right, we're going to do, you be the manager. I'll i will give to that. You could be manager. I said, okay, okay, that's wonderful. So then, after a couple of more years, I worked him down. And it's like, Nikolai, these guys. I'm bigger than most of them. He's like, I know. What the heck? We've become tag teams. So then we did that too. So I was still in the police department and I had to get permission. It was actually a secondary job, but that was considered. So when I hand my boss who was also, yes, my boss was also a wrestling fan. He's reading the thing and he's like, are you serious? He said, like, this is no, no, like, uh, you're not making this. So I'm like, no, sir, it's 100% legitimate. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll sign it if I can meet Nicholas. Oh, you've got a deal, oh, no yeah. problem.
0: Here's the deal. So let me ask you and So that worked out. So, so, as you're doing this, while you're kind of moonlighting as uh, a wrestler by night and an officer by day, you are becoming known. So I'm going to guess, I know what it was like for me on the streets. So were your contacts starting to go, Oh, you know what? Nope. I'm not even going to mess with you because I already know what you can do.
1: No. And I'll tell you why. I was actually a detective when I I got really going and pardon me just for a second. But at the bottom of the book, they have a, the publisher put a little picture of me in uniform And then me as a Soviet general, and he says, by daytime, he was a hero police officer. At night, a hated Soviet general. Nobody knew. In fact, a funny story, we would do this local thing called Manic Monday for WJZ. So they would have different locations, and people would sing Manic Monday. So we appear, and I'm in my costume, and Nikolai's in his. So somebody taped it at work. Now, I'm sitting in the back of the room. A room full of detectives, mind you. So they play it on the television. So one guy turns to the other. He says, what the heck are we watching this for? And he's like, that's him. That's, that's the sergeant. And he's like, no, it's not. And he looks at me. And he's like, that is you. If we didn't know. I said, well, you weren't supposed to. Nitwit. That was the idea. And not that it was meant to be a secret. I just didn't make a big deal of it. Sure. And we were able to pull it off. So it was great.
0: That had to have be been really exciting. Eventually, uh, you retired. You also ended up moving out of wrestling and moving your professional career towards acting. And so, how, how did you make that transition?
1: The first part, it's really strange. We were doing different documentaries, and somebody said, You know, that's an acting credit. I'm like, I don't care. I do wrestling, I'm not worried about goofy acting. Uh-huh. But after it was a time where we were, I was still living back in Maryland. So a local guy, he says, "Hey, would you like to be in a movie? You and Nikolai." And he said, "It's a it's a real neat kind of an idea. It's black and white, and what we're doing, we've got the rights to blend in, like Lon Chaney Jr., Bella Lugosi, people like that. And already, because I'm a Universal Monsters fan, I'm like, oh, okay, this is sounding great already." And he said, your character will be Captain Sildmack. And I'm like, I know that name. That's Kurt Sildmack, who wrote the screenplay, The Wolfman. The guy's like, I can't believe it. So there's another bonding that takes place there. So it's like, oh, I'll be happy to do that. So we do the movie. And then the bug bit me. Believe it or not, all the time that I was in Maryland, I hardly got involved. When we move all the way out to Seattle, there was a... Health issue going on with the wife's sister. So, okay. it, we came out here to try to help when I retired. And then I'm flying back and forth. So, I actually, uh, Darren Aronofsky, in fact, with the wrestler, before I did leave the East Coast, we hooked up with him. My good friend, Evan Ginsberg, who was one of the producers, and I've known Evan for 30 years, he said, Look, Darren wants to know what this wrestling thing is. Can we all meet? Come to Manhattan, you, Nikolai, and the luscious Johnny Valiant, another dear friend who's left us. And it was like, oh, man, but be happy to be there. But, Rebecca, that night that we were leaving, there was a blizzard on the horizon, and it was coming from the north. So Nikolai said, you think we should go? Is it going to be big snow, you goof? I said, We have to do it. I don't care if we have to get a hotel or whatever, but we have to do this. So we did it. We go all the way up there. We met. We got everything established. We got home before one snowflake hit the ground. So it worked out beautifully. But then from there, the bug had bit me. So then at one point, I'm going back and forth to Maryland. Loretto, with an O, gubernatus, she... She had me on her show, Top of the Morning, which still runs. It's a cable show in Baltimore. And she said, uh, you know, yeah, we'd love to have you as a a guest because of your background, of course. So I go on the show. So it was filmed on the Top of the World Trade Center in Baltimore. So the host asked me a question. And she's like, don't stop him. Don't stop him. Let him go. Let him go. So when we were done, she said, you know what? How would you like to be a co-host? I said, yeah, I want to Learn. I'm going to do things. So for one season, I was a co-host of top of the morning, and it's unusual. I mean, I covered topics I had no knowledge of, but it's amazing how much we know. Because there were a few things that came about, and it's like, gee, I do know something about that. Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know,
1: just let tell their story, and as you know what you're doing, you know, and it's like boom, just it flows. But you have to be not like uh, introvert, like I am. You have to be outgoing. So.
0: Okay, you do not. But yeah, like so I, I look.
1: No, I'm just being silly. But yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I mean, Oh my God, no, I'm I'm a Leo, so no. Yeah, when people no say, "Can factors. we take your picture?" No. When they say, "Can I take your picture?" I say, "I never met a camera I didn't love. Take the picture, please, or you'll upset me if you don't." So yeah.
0: This is this is fantastic, and so you must have had a really good support system through your entire career to be able to do both of these things with wrestling and law enforcement and then move on into your acting career as well.
1: You know, at one point I did not because really? people said, how old are you? I, I was in my forties before I hit wrestling and they're like, you're too old for that stuff. I you're crazy. And I'm like, what? I feel good. And I'm going to do it. Yeah. That's that. My mother from day one And see, part of the book, the reason that it was written, I was severely abused as a child, physically, physical and emotional child abuse. My father was an alcoholic, so he would call me names. We can't repeat here, but never use my name unless, of course, we were in public. And then you got the Jekyll and Hyde kind of situation where he would put his mask on and people did not know what was happening. But it was hard. It really was hard. So I never really got that kind of support at home, even to go to become a policeman. My mother didn't want me to do it. She's like, no, no, because people hate cops. You're not going to do this. And I'm like, mom, I'm doing it. Whether you like it or not, you're going to have to deal with it. But this is happening. So get used to it. So, you know, I love you too, Rebecca. Because, you know, in fact, we just had – in baltimore yesterday a off-duty detective sergeant was robbed and shot he's on life support i mean it's like i cringe when i hear people say the things they say about police it's like all right there's problems my last three years i was in iid and i had to do that because when i was the domestic violence coordinator which we can also talk about that was great we worked with the sexual assault victims domestic violence victims but then after 9-11, that got unfunded and they were going to Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. So then they said, all right, now you need to make a decision. If you want to stay in the detective bureau, you either go to IID or get the uniform and back to patrol. And I'm like, all right, give me my cheese. I'm heading to IID, you know, yes. you know how we view that until I got there. And then it was like, man, I can't believe some of the things I'm seeing. And I never saw anybody take a file and hide it or say, we're not going to pursue this. It's like they they would go – I lost friends over the years because of it. And they're like, oh, you're in the rat squad. It's like, hey, you know what? This is a sergeant's job. This should have never got to this point.
0: And not only that, but – we're held to a higher standard. And so ah. we should remain in that position. We're, we're not supposed to be getting to that position and then taking advantage of it. We have earned a trust within of the community and it needs to remain that way. And so now I think society has a huge reflection on some of the bad apples that have happened along the way. And unfortunately it's taken a really ugly turn. And so that, that was one of the things I was going to ask you in comparison to when you worked to now, what disparity are you seeing? Well,
1: one thing that I do see, and it comes to mind, when I was a kid, we were on the street. We would box, we would wrestle, we'd play ball. We'd get mad at each other, we'd fight. And that would be the end of it. This generation of the Thumbs, they were inside playing the video games, okay? Then when they get out in the real world, you go through the police academy, they're showing you all of these horror things, a guy with a knife, and it, it's all true, but if you've never had a fight in your life and now you encounter somebody, they go for the gun first thing. They right. panic. Now, we never had tasers. Well, we had a wood taser because we carried a stick, you know, and that was it. That's, to me but you know what people respected you and you didn't have to go to that extreme but i see today you know we were raised differently than the group i'd say in the last 10 or 15 years because we interact i lived in the inner city i interacted with people see now when we shot on the range what did we shoot paper targets i've got bronze stars I probably should have shot these people in the situations that were in, that I was in at the time, but they were human beings. And I chose to hold my fire and it worked out well, luckily. But when you start playing these video games and things like that, it just seems like second nature to me today, to some of them that just pull the gun and let it fly. Where with us, again, we shot at paper target. And then when you meet a human being in that situation, you're going to try to defuse it differently.
0: That is very true. We live in such a different frame of mind in just a short period of time. And yet there are some things that are the same, such as what goes on behind closed doors when it comes to domestic violence. That seems to Mm -hmm. not only have stayed the same, but, and I don't know if, if it's media or because there's more people in the world, the population has increased, and now we're seeing more episodes of this, but domestic violence has actually, the numbers have gone up, and statistically, that would go to hold true just because of population, the numbers in population, increase in population. Okay. But that is something that has always been a behind-the-closed Door thing nobody wants to talk about, nobody wants to really address the issue on. And so it's really interesting how some things have changed, and yet there are some things that have stayed the same. And that area has not really been addressed the way it should. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that are helping, there's a lot of people who have the right intention and are trying, but it seems like it just stays in a box. And it
1: doesn't. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, my unit, when I was the domestic violence coordinator, and what we did was it wasn't just in-house, because there was a time when if something happened no, uh, the, within the department, nobody would touch it because they'd say that's between a husband and wife. That changed without a doubt over the years. But my job and my squad's job was not just to deal with the victims, but we monitored the nine districts because each one had their own domestic violence unit. And to make sure that when you got a call in patrol, what did you write a report? Every time they came up with a new procedure, no matter if it's unfounded, write that, but write a report for each domestic violence call. So, you know, they got lazy. They didn't want to write the report. So we would go, we would get communications, call sheets and say, okay, and they go try to find the report. There be times there's no report, you go to the officer. Where's the report? What happened? Eh, well, you know, it's like, hey, wait a minute. If this was one of your your mother, or your sister, or whoever, you would want it taken care of. That's how we want it applied here, like it's a family member. Or if yeah. you hate your family, then a close friend. Okay. But you gotta follow through because women are going to a court commissioner with a report number. There's no report and then they get turned away and then they feel like the system is against them. So that's what we were trying. And we did a very good job. I had uh, two people, that was it. And then we would, but then we worked with the different organizations within the city, advocate victim units and things like that and within the police department. So uh, we got good progress we really did we we certainly let people know through different programs and different outreach programs you know when the the television series homicide life on the street was being filmed in baltimore there was an issue with that and it, the house of ruth actually had to get involved with one of hollywood's names i'm not going to go into it but the house of ruth really served a great purpose that was a refuge for people uh, women that were abused a place where they could go, a safe haven. In fact, officers didn't know the location. Only certain people would find out where it was because Mm -hmm. it was kept that confidential.
0: And, you know, that's really interesting you say that because oftentimes it's really hard to keep safe houses really confidential. And that is so important and crucial for someone when they are ready to a situation being that that is the most dangerous time for a person to leave um, a domestic violence situation.
1: And you know, the problem that comes in, people judge because they'll say, well, if it's that bad, why does she stay? Well, you don't have a choice sometimes. And I lived that when I was going through my abuse. You know, I thought it was normal. I really did. I did not know that that's not how a family is until I... Because a lot of my friends, they were all uh, came from divorced families. So I really didn't have much comparison. So I thought, well, what I'm going through is normal. And I accepted it. Wrestling was my catharsis. That's what brought the book about as a payback for what the men and women in that profession did saving me. But when people say, well, she should do this, she should do that. What do you do if you have children? Where are you going to go? Who's going to take care of you? And then that begot human trafficking. When you get to runaways, where do the runaways, you know? And then we get into what people tagged as prostitution. It's like, okay, we, again, like with the police getting a, a bad mark and then people run with that prostitution is not what we called it. It was, it is human trafficking. And most of the time the women are underage. It's like, and who's doing that? People in your neighborhood, people in your community, they're you know, sometimes they'll come from different areas, but it's men within our and, and look, men we own it. It ain't women out there doing it. You see women that are the human trafficking victims, but it's men that are doing the deed and going around and using another human being.
0: You have a really very important point that you're making, and we are failing to recognize that and that is that right here in our home country the united states we are seeing human trafficking right under our nose and not recognizing what it is and it I, is- I think
1: they chose to ignore it too rebecca you know why again men if it was happening to men i think it would be a different scenario and listen to me i'm not a female because a lot of they'll say oh well that's a feminist no i'm a man and i seen it and I know what's going on out there. And I'll tell you, if it was going on to men, you'd see this thing cleaned up.
0: Do you think so, Nikita? Do you think if it was re- gender reversed, that it would be a whole different issue?
1: I think you would see a vast improvement. Now, I hear from some people that say, well, oh, it happens to, to men, too. It's like, boys, yes, I understand That's- that. It does happen usually because they're vulnerable and it's usually that rotten uncle. I now understand what it is about an uncle, but the cases that came upon my view over the years, it's like, how do you tolerate this? And there was one that wasn't job related that I knew of personally. And I'm like, this guy, he married into the fact I'm thinking my mother, I know that what she would have done, she'd be in jail. There's no way if this guy molested my sister like that, that he'd just be coming yeah. for dinner next week it. and yeah. it, we wouldn't yeah. talk about it. It's like, oh, we wouldn't talk about it. Oh boy. <laughs> I, there was times I said, look, I can't be in the same room with this guy. I just can't.
0: You know, it's, it's really interesting because I was having a conversation with someone just recently and we were talking about the high levels of human trafficking right here and how prevalent it is along with it being Conducted by family members and it being so normalized in our society and, and it's becoming numbing to our culture. And this is really something that really needs to be recognized and brought forth because it's not acceptable at all. And, um, And like I said, I mean, it's just becoming numbing and, and normalized. And we're seeing these, uh, another another area that's kind of being brought to this is the acceptance of certain um, illnesses such as pedophilia that's being said that this isn't okay or incest is okay. These things are being accepted as okay. And all of this kind of- I've been waiting out. for that.
1: I've been waiting for that one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I I hear you. I've been watching what's been going on and with a lot of things that have been coming out through, you know, sources um, of credible media sources. And I am just watching the erosion and thinking this is really sad because it does go back to this normalization, the numbing effect and the acceptance of things that are not acceptable. And so it's interesting that we're talking about it now.
1: Now, I'm going to give Homicide, Life on the Street, I gave him a little knock. I'm going to give him a high mark now. They had an episode. A detective had suppressed this for years, but he confessed to his partner in a moment uh, of, it it was, uh, was having a tough time with the case. And he told him that he had been molested as a child by his uncle. And he said, you know, I told my father. And my father looked at me and said, why are you lying? And it, he portrayed it perfectly. Kyle Secor, he did a m- magnificent job. And he said, because it was an inconvenience. And that is so true, Rebecca. People, families don't wanna recognize it because you're gonna cause a rift. This one yeah. won't talk to me, this one will be, and it's like, this is your child, even animals. Can you imagine? Trying to go, I've seen it with buffaloes when they got a little one, you just don't even look in that direction. And other types of animals, if they're young or around, they're going to tear you to shreds. Just stay away. Even they have more sense than us humans at times. It's like protect your kids.
0: Yes, this is so crucial. And we seem to just be letting things happen instead of stepping up when we need to. And we, yeah, and we just are letting other things sort of step in place. So for example, social media, we're bringing in to sort of allow the attention span to be directed so that our attention can be focused on something else instead of mm-hmm. going out and playing with our children Uh, Or whatever. I mean, there's things that are being misdirected, which if they were put in the right direction, we could prevent a lot of things from happening in the first place.
1: I think, well, you've got something right there. The other problem is there's such a wide connection with this web now. And I think web is a perfect description because these like kinds can connect with each other. And now you have a conspiracy going on, and they can trade information, they can teach each other, if you will, and it's like, this is what we don't need, but I mean, we also grow in so many other positive ways from the web, so you gotta take the good with the bad. But, on the other hand, people, I think a larger problem, what you're saying about the computer, you know, when I was a kid, we would sit outside in the summer, and the neighbors would talk, and the kids would play. Everybody's inside on their computer or or they're looking down at the box and they ignore, just as we're saying, the prostitution problem slash human trafficking. And they see it, but if it doesn't affect them, they don't care. People don't reach out to their neighbors like they once did. I mean, it used to be if you knew you had an elderly neighbor, if it was bad weather, go take care of them. Make sure they're okay, they went shopping be Johnny on the spot, go in there and help them. and get this stuff inside the house, you know? But today it's like, here's the dividing line. This is my side, that's your side. So it's, it's like, true. okay, we need to get closer.
0: This is true. And I can tell you, even in some circles of certain professions, you still have these segregated groups. And I can tell you that Even in one that I was in, I made it a point to still wave at other people and say, hi, and Uh, want the camaraderie, even if they were saying, no, we're kind of still in our own world over here. And it was like, no, we're all on the same team.
1: Right. I even noticed that in the police department the last couple of years, because I would be doing different assignments and monitoring calls, and somebody would get a call For a hot call that was very dangerous and there's no backup. Nobody's jumping on the radio. That this factor would actually have to assign. And it's like, what happened in my day? If you got a call like that, the whole squad's going, no matter what. You're not supposed to you're supposed to have a couple. Yeah, but everybody's gonna be there, you know? And it's like, what's
0: going on?
1: Why are we having these divisions? This is crazy.
0: Yes. And what you're saying is right. There are divisions and why. And it's, it's widespread. It's not one particular segment of society. It is all over. And so we see the divisions and things being pitted against each other. And just, it's kind of like, let's, you know, and you know the phrase, "Why can't we all get along?" But really, why can't we? Why can't we find exactly. the sandbox, like when you and I were growing up, where okay, we got along anyway. We we could hash it out and then just move on and get back in the sandbox and play with our toys.
1: Part of the problem, I think, people have taken on more than they can handle, so they got to work two, three jobs. Every and fathers where everybody's working when I grew up the mother's home and that was, I don't, I'm not saying that that's the way it was supposed to be, but in some cases that that's just the way it was. And people just seemed like they, I mean, you could still do the same thing with both working. It just seems like they want to have more as we always heard growing up, keeping up with the Joneses and it's like, okay, he got a bigger car. Now I get a bigger car and whatever. It's like, no, be happy you put food on the table that you have the roof and, let it go with that. But no, people just, they keep going for the bigger carrot and then the bigger carrot. And I was like,
0: okay, what do you and breathe? The, and the funny thing about all that is you can get the bigger carrot and within the few years that you have it, the devaluation of that product, it just, it goes either through lack of maintenance or just... It it, things just devalue. I mean, buying a car, you drive it off the lot and you're going to lose a lot of money just in that in itself. Um, So let me ask you, what have you got going these days? Cause you are just rocking all the time. You don't stop. You keep pushing forward. Yeah.
1: One of the catchphrases at the bottom of my book is good is the enemy of great. It's not mine, I heard it somewhere along the way, but I live that because it's like, you'll always hear people say, that's good enough. Yeah, I did good enough. It's like, no, be great, keep going, keep digging. The book right now is keeping me very busy because it's not gonna be a a bestseller because it's a niche audience, but it's getting talk in the industry because of its content. And here's a quick picture of it, when it was real, and the reason uh, it's Bob Backlund against Greg Valentine, February 19th, 1979 in Madison Square Garden. And the re- reason it's getting the talk, it's because, you know, if that's what it meant to people, it was important. And I don't knock today's product. I don't degrade what anybody does. It was different then. Now see, just like we're talking about the web, we didn't have that back then. So this could be innocent. You couldn't exchange information quickly like you can on the web. Today, they tell you in the locker room what the heck is going to be on television. So they actually have to lock that down. So it's like, man, information leaks all over the place. But we didn't even have sharing because unless somebody was a friend, say, like in Boston, and in those days, long-distance calls, your parents would clobber you if you made a long-distance call because it was expensive. You didn't talk to people, maybe a letter, but by the time you got the letter, you've already seen your show in your town. So word didn't travel. So it was able to be kept, presented as real. We knew from day one, my mother would tell me, you know, it's this, it's that. It's like, mom, just let me enjoy it, okay? I'm not gonna tell you Marcus Welby's not a doctor tonight when you watch it. Okay, just let me enjoy it. And we could suspend our belief, the blood was always real, though, Rebecca, absolutely, 100%. And in fact, there was a show that I had attended one time, and it was like, uh, God bless Lou Albano. He he was in Super Mario Brothers, and Lou was in a lot of movies, but he was a famous manager, more so than wrestler, and he was a bleeder. He, he didn't care. He would do it. So we... It, it was a match. He was wrestling Bruno San Martino, and it was right before intermission. So a friend of mine and I, we go down to the ring after the match, and it's like, this is real blood. I mean, looking all the way to the dressing room. And it's like, we almost seemed like we were demented because when somebody – you did something to one of our favorites. It was like family.
0: Um, and
1: there's – nicola would tell me stories. He said, sometimes they slash all four tires. I have to park blocks away because people attack me and they do stuff. And it's like, but we believed it. We cared about it. The day they watch it, they laugh. They say, okay. And it's like you went to the movies and you go home. Now, you're like a Star Trek person, Batman, which I'm a big fan of, 66, people like that. You're into it. You're deeper. And that's what this was. Today's product, it's wrestling, but I don't think you carry what we carry when people watch it. They still talk about it. And I've been in so many circles and not just uh, like, like you say acting and police work, but go to a doctor's office. They find out about wrestling, man, they just pour out about it. Go to a lawyer, boom, they're talking about wrestling. It's touched so many people and it's meant so much to so many people. That's the difference.
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. So we definitely want to get the audience to take a peek at what you are doing now and get a copy of your book, or can they find it?
1: It is at crowbarpress.com. C-R-O-W-B-A-R, all one word, crowbarpress.com. Scott Teal is the publisher and the editor. He did a magnificent job and, because he, I wrote in police vernacular. So he said, Nikita, this is never going to sell. I'll edit it. It's like, okay, Scott, but he's done over 200 books. He is a master. And the thing it's hard for people to see, but what he did, I didn't know that he was going to do this. He put in these little, uh, with with our advertisement, newspaper ads. And there's not one for each story, but when it applies, it's uh, there it is. I could see, show you that one. It applies to what you're reading about on that page. And I just loved it because that was, I have a, a collection but they all came from him and it was like when I, I got the cards that were advertising the book and I'm like 226 images I didn't give him that many pictures I'm thinking man I don't want copyright problems Scott what are we doing and then I got the book and it's like oh it's these newspaper ads that's wonderful so it's really great
0: yes and on the site itself uh, the layout of your book there is really nice as well they, they- Scott knows to <laughs> stop. Crowbar trusted did a fabulous job.
1: He sells, I don't handle it because I don't want any tax trouble with the state or whatever. It's like, Scott, you handle it. Give me the paperwork at the end of the year and I'll submit it. And that's it. I don't want to do it. Cause people say, well, why don't you give me a copy? It's like, I don't have a copy to give. you. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of like when I joined the acting union, people used to bug me to be in this, that project. And it's like, you know, after a while, you can only do so many of those no pay or low pay, and it's like that's it. I'm it's called show business, not show fun. I'm making money at this now. Okay, so if you got a legit project, give me a holler or call the agent. Boom. But uh, so that was nice to put that shield up, so now I don't have to be a bad guy. Like, all I can say, I'm in the union. I can't do that.
0: I love Although sometimes you good. want to, but you, you know how it goes. Yeah, that's absolutely and people will
1: take advantage of you, too. You know that as well, Rebecca.
0: I do. I absolutely do. And it's becoming more and more common that uh, people are wanting this entitlement, you know, get something for nothing and not having to put forth a lot of work. And for those that do, they kind of want to ride the tails on that. But let me ask you, when it comes yes. to social media or fan base following, do you, are you on board with that?
1: Yes, Facebook. I post daily something from the I even though my book only covers the 70s, because I submitted 500 pages to him that he narrowed down to 276. But I go all the way to 1983 is when it changed, is when I called the day the music died, when Hulk Hogan won and I melt knock him, but the format became different. Yes. So it was like, yeah. so I, every day I post something, and I always used to do that, even before the book and people you know i have a small following with it but people appreciate that so i'm facebook i'm on twitter as well i just don't get on there as much i'm an old timer it's like facebook is easy I just, i'll go right to facebook boom and that's it
0: i'm with you i i am not this big social media person even though i try i'm just i'm not so I'm we try I
1: know. yes we do try but facebook nikita breznikov and I, I, I'm, I take in everybody that looks legitimate. If you, if we have a connection with somebody else, or you look like, you know, I take make sure who I'm letting in because you know how many goofy people are out there with their gimmicks. It's like, I don't want that trouble. No, thank you.
0: Agreed. I agree with you. Well, Nikita, thank you so much for being here today. This has been quite delightful and very informative for the audience. I know that there's a lot of content that we talked about today that I think that can be really utilized and absorbed and really make a difference in people's lives.
1: My pleasure, Rebecca. Thank you for having me.
0: I am so excited. And for all of you out there who tune in every week, I really encourage you to connect with Nikita on Facebook. Make sure to get a copy of when it was real crowbar press. You've got to check it out. This is something that I will tell you is going to really bring a lot of joy to you and a lot of insight. It's, It is really good. Thank you again, Nikita. And I want to thank all of you again for tuning in every week. Make sure you share this with your friends, your family, all of your loved ones, everybody you know on social media and all those you don't. Thanks for tuning in.